Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning. Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? We're all running slow, but you seem cheery, so we'll take it. Just had a awesome fundamentals class talking about how to read the Bible, and everybody was so talkative and so cheerful. It was fantastic. So you missed out, but we'll do it again for the next four weeks, I think. So next week, we're going to talk about gospel conversations, right? How do we talk with people about Jesus? It's very simple, but just kind of give some practical tips and help and encouragement. So that's at 915 uh, and then we'll do that for the next several weeks. So we'd love for you to join in on that. Let me pray for us one more time, and then we will jump in. Oh, Father God, as we venture into the book of Acts, I just pray that your spirit would move powerfully in this room. God, that you would stir and awaken hearts to your glory and to the power that is ours through Jesus Christ. God, we pray that we would experience the joy of walking in obedience to you and that you would be glorified through this church to the praise of your glorious grace. Amen. All right, so today we are beginning this journey through the book of Acts. We'll be walking through this book for the next seven to eight months, which sounds like a long time, right? Seven or eight months but it's really just a matter of perspective. So really old guy, John Calvin, he began his series in the book of Acts on Sunday, August 25th, 1549. It was a long time ago. He's, there's no podcasts. Um, he, he wrapped up his series in March of 1554. So it took him just under five years to walk through the book of Acts. So you might could say that we are going to blow through this book super quick. Um, and the book of Acts, it's obviously a narrative, it's a story, so we're going to be taking bigger chunks of the text, especially towards the end, and there are going to be some things that we just don't address at all. So as we walk through this book together, I would really encourage you to read along with us, preferably before Sunday morning, right? Just read through what we're going to be talking about because we won't always hit everything on Sunday morning. We'll sometimes zero in on a small section, a few times just one verse. So the more you get into the text, the more it will help conversations in small group and together because I know all you guys want to do is talk about the Bible. So it's going to be an awesome journey. And as we've talked about for the last two weeks, we are a people on mission. We're a people who have been sent out by Jesus to proclaim salvation and to make disciples of all nations. That was Jesus' call, the great commission that we walked through the last few weeks. And what we're going to see today at the beginning of Acts is that the reason that we can do that, 
The reason we can fulfill this call, the power that we have as followers of Jesus is rooted in the reality that Christ didn't just die and rise again, but he ascended to the right hand of the Father. He inaugurated his kingdom reign and poured out the Holy Spirit into the hearts of his people. And through Jesus, he is building his church. Jesus is building his church. That's what the whole book of Acts is about. Jesus is building his church. It is his church, it is his power, and it is his glory. And we have been invited into what Jesus is doing in the world. And so I hope that's what you see as we begin walking into this book today. And if you've never read the book of Acts before, you are going to be blown away. It's going to rock your world. We have been given unimaginable power to proclaim salvation and life through the indwelling spirit. We are part of God's eternal plan of redemption in this world. We have been commissioned as heralds of the good news of Jesus Christ. And I know even as I say that, there are some folks when I talk about this excitement and this power that's ours, you just don't really feel it. To some, this call of the gospel, this challenge and adventure of coming alongside God and his plan of redemption in this world doesn't make you very excited. It doesn't stir your heart with a desire to be a part of something unimaginable and eternal. The sad reality is that many Christians live boring, mundane lives. The most exciting news on a week-to-week basis is the next Netflix series or Amazon purchase. Void of power, void of hope, void of experiencing this love that surpasses understanding. But we have been called to so much more. The book of Acts illuminates for us what our lives could be and in many ways should be when the truth of Jesus grips our heart. When the power that we've been given, that's been promised to us, becomes a reality in our lives. You have been given power. Church, scripture is clear. You have been given power. Power to speak the gospel with boldness. Power to fearlessly stand on the truth of Christ in the midst of a world that hates God. Power to joyfully lay down your life for Jesus. Power to see life brought out of death by the inner working of the Spirit. You may not feel powerful, you may not feel bold, but my hope is that as we begin to journey through this book is that God would reveal his power to you, the power that is yours through Jesus. So let's get into the book. The book of Acts was written by the same guy that wrote the book of Luke. Any ideas? Anyone? Luke? Yeah. I thought I'd have at least one person in here that knew that. Yeah, it was written by Luke. And and one thing we're going to do as we walk through this book is we're going to take brief snapshots of these different people that God uses throughout this story. 
Because it's really encouraging to see the diverse personalities and the gifts that God utilized to build his church. And what I love about Luke is that he's the guy that we don't know hardly anything about. That's Luke. He's the behind the scenes guy that just so happened to write more of the New Testament than anyone else. Right? You realize that? Even more than Paul. Paul wrote more letters, but, but Luke wrote more in sheer volume. Almost a quarter of the New Testament was written by Luke. But Luke is only mentioned by name three times in all of Scripture. It's crazy. He wasn't one of the 12. He might have been one of the 70 or the 120, but once again, nobody talks about this guy. What we do know is that he was a physician because Paul referred to him as the beloved physician in Colossians. And in Philemon, Paul writes and says, Luke greets you. So <laughs> there's a physician that greeted someone. That's pretty much what we know about Luke. And while his name is, is rarely spoken in the text, if you look closely when we read the book of Acts, you will see him in the word we. Luke was there when Paul and Silas were beaten and imprisoned in Philippi. Luke was there when Paul boldly proclaimed in the Areopagus. And Luke was there when Paul was in the shipwreck in Acts 27. And I have to believe that the beloved physician was there after every beating and stoning and shipwreck and imprisonment to nurse Paul and the other disciples back to health. But he was never in the limelight. People weren't talking about how awesome Luke was, but he was always on mission. He wasn't the one we read about preaching epic sermons in the synagogue or casting out demons, but he was there faithfully serving. It kind of makes me think of this room that we all show up in. We walk in on Sunday morning and there's chairs, tables, coffee, sound equipment. All the children's classrooms are magically set up. It's amazing. And there are countless men and women who toil behind the scenes so that we can just show up and worship on Sunday morning. It's like Luke. These people are probably not ever going to preach a sermon, right? They're not going to be up front. They may never be recognized, but they are an integral part of what God is doing here. And that was Luke. He followed Jesus and listened to the call on his life, and he used his gifts to advance the message of the gospel. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit to love boldly and to pour his life out for others. And at the end of 2 Timothy, when Paul is awaiting execution, we see the third place Luke's name is mentioned in Scripture. Paul says, Luke alone is with me. Luke alone is with me. Everyone else has fled. Everyone else is too afraid to show up, too afraid that they're going to end up in prison or killed. But Luke was still there. Luke had always been there. I get chills when I read those words. Luke alone is with me. That's the kind of friend I want to be. That's the kind of Jesus follower I want to be. Luke's life was not about Luke. It wasn't about his voice or his ministry or his power. 
It was a life poured out in the service of others for the purpose of the gospel. Right? I don't want to be known as the person that always has something to say. I want to be the person who always has something to give. I want to be known as the person that's going to show up. Right? Luke alone is with me. Because not everybody's Paul. Not everyone's going to be the center of attention or the tip of the gospel spear. But everyone has a role to play in this mission. And we need more Lukes in the church. Constant, faithful, self-giving servants of Jesus. So, so that's Luke. He is the author of Acts. And he's writing to a guy named Theophilus. His name literally means lover of God. And honestly, nobody knows who this guy was. Some say it was a Roman official or a Jewish priest. And others argue it was like a general term used for the people of God. But whatever the case, we know from the book of Luke that these two books were intended to be read together. Kind of like one book. And they were written with the purpose of affirming the gospel in the hearts of believers. To give us confidence in Christ that we might live out the mission to which we have been called. And if you read the Gospel of Luke, it ends with the commissioning of the disciples and the resurrected Jesus ascending to the Father. And the book of Acts begins in the same way. So let's read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, in the, in, in the first book, referencing Luke, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, before ascending to the Father, Jesus tells his disciples, you guys just wait. Just wait for the promise of the Father. And I can only imagine what's going through their minds at this point, right? The last couple years of these guys' lives have been pretty crazy, right? It's been nuts, the long-awaited Savior rolled up on him in the midst of their mundane lives and said, follow me. And they began this insane journey full of miraculous wonders and amazing teaching. And they thought they knew what was coming next. When Jesus entered into Jerusalem on that donkey, they were like, let's do this, Jesus. It's go time. We're about to usher in the kingdom. Then he's arrested and crucified. And Barry, the Messiah, was dead. Like, can you imagine for those guys? Their hopes were crushed. Everything they thought was going to happen didn't happen. But then Jesus walks out of the tomb victorious. He's alive. He spends 40 days teaching them about the kingdom of God and encouraging them. And then he says, wait for the promise of the Father. It's coming like being baptized with water in a few days, you will be immersed with the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, you will be clothed with power from on high. They had to be excited, right? 
They had to think this was the moment they've been waiting for. Jesus conquered sin and death. The spirit was coming in power. All that's left is to make our enemies a footstool under our feet, and we will reign with Jesus in glory. They jumped the gun the first time, but now they had to know this was the time. So in verse 6, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Right? Is it go time? Despite all that Jesus had taught them during that 40 days, this question kind of proves that they still don't understand. God's plan of redemption wasn't about an earthly nation, about a national kingdom. It it wasn't about restoring the nation of Israel to its former glory. It was about an eternal kingdom. It was about the gospel of Jesus stretching out from the people of God to every tribe and every tongue and every nation. This wasn't the end of God's plan of redemption, but just the beginning. God was getting ready to send his word into the world to gather for himself an eternal family of believers from every nation on earth. So they say, Are we ushering in the kingdom? And Jesus says in verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's crazy. Like, you see what what just happened The disciples asked Jesus, like, are we about to reign in glory? And Jesus is like, no, guys, all wrong. Again, now is not the time. You can't know the time. Nobody knows the time. But you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. And then, right, he dropped the mic, ascended into heaven, and that was it. No more questions, no more explaining, nothing. And these guys are just staring into the sky like, what on earth, right? He just floated away. He's gone. They were thinking they were about to usher in the kingdom of God, and the next minute Jesus is straight up gone. So you may think that you've been let down by God, right? Or you've been frustrated because God didn't do what you expected him to do. But I can assure you it doesn't compare to what the disciples were feeling in that moment. They stood there staring into the sky when Jesus ascended because they thought his departure was a loss of the intimate relationship they had with him. A loss of his power and his protection. But what they would soon realize and and what we must realize is that the ascension was not a loss of things. 
but a magnification of the relationship and the power and the protection. And it wasn't like Jesus hadn't already told his disciples exactly what was coming. They just had trouble hearing, right? Back in John chapter 16, Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper won't come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. He will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus says, it's better. It's better that I go. But the reason they were staring up at the sky was that they didn't understand the necessity of the ascension. Just like his crucifixion, they didn't get what was going on. And the reality is that lots of people, even in the church, don't understand the significance of this moment in redemptive history. And if you think I'm wrong, go to Hallmark and look for an Ascension Sunday card, right? <laughs> like you can get a card for your pet monkey, but you can't get a card for Ascension Sunday. But here's the thing, without the ascension of Jesus, his birth and death and resurrection were of no use. Tim Keller said, without the ascension, it's like building a beautiful mansion without anyone to live in it. It's only at the ascension that everything Jesus was and everything Jesus did is released into the world with all its healing power. When Christ ascended into heaven and took his seat at the right hand of God with all authority and all power, he secured our place with him. Ephesians 2.6 says that in Christ we are already seated with him in heaven. Because Jesus ascended, our home is with him. He has prepared a place for us. And he has promised that we will join him in glory. The ascension of Christ is not just this future hope, but a present promise of Christ's nearness and his power. When Jesus ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to teach us, to comfort us, to protect us. See, the disciples walk with Jesus in the flesh, yet he said to them in John, this is better This this is going to be better than physically walking with Jesus. If I go, you are going to know me on a whole nother level. Because in this new covenant kingdom, inaugurated by the ascension of Jesus, the presence of God is no longer localized in the temple like in the Old Testament or in the person of Jesus During his earthly ministry, now the presence of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, bringing power and understanding and hope and joy in Christ. The message of the ascension is that the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is building his church. He is our mediator. He is interceding for us. He is fighting for us. And he sent his spirit into the hearts of all who believe in him to seal us in his love, to teach us all things, 
to empower us for the gospel mission we have been called into. This is what Jesus was saying before he left the disciples in verse 8. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So the reason we have the book of Acts is because Jesus ascended. And from the right hand of God, with all authority, he is building his church through the power of the Holy Spirit poured out into the life of the church. And I know if you look in your Bibles, it says the title is the Acts of the Apostles. Okay, that's not really the title. That's not part of the original text. That was added in the second century. If you want to know what Acts is actually about, look back at chapter 1, verse 1. Luke says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. The little word began there is crucial. It points to the fact that everything Jesus did up to his ascension was just the beginning. The ascension didn't mark the end of Jesus' work, but the continuation of it. That's what Luke's second book is about, the acts of the risen Lord Jesus. That's what this book is. And he is working those acts from heaven through his people by the Holy Spirit for the accomplishment of God's purposes. Jesus is building his church. And here in chapter 1 of Acts, Jesus gives us the blueprint of how he will do this. You will receive power when the Spirit comes and you will be my witnesses. And as we get into the book of Acts, we're going to see this miraculous power that's been promised. It all begins next week when we read about Pentecost, when the Spirit descends and is poured out, empowering the people of God for the work of the gospel. But today, I just want to wrap things up with a practical note about how we fit into this story. We're going to read about the apostles and the disciples doing amazing things in this book. Crazy stuff is going to go down. But I want to be very clear from the outset that the people in this book were not walking in the power of their theological degrees or their personal discipline or their own spiritual acuity. They were walking in the power of Jesus through the indwelling spirit, indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They were walking in the power of Jesus. And that same power Jesus promised to them that we will see in them is in everyone who is trusted in Christ for salvation. The same power. They needed this power just as much as we need that power. So, you may think there's no way you can proclaim the gospel with boldness like Peter's going to in chapter 2. But let's not forget who Peter was, right? He was the guy that was afraid to proclaim Jesus to a girl, a kid. He denied Jesus three times. He botched the walking on water thing. Jesus basically called him Satan, right? That's not good. Then he chops the ear off the guard, right? Fail, fail, fail. His track record as a disciple was abysmal. It wasn't good. He messed pretty much everything up. 
Yet with all his failures, all his faithlessness, Jesus says to Peter in Matthew 16, verse 18, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But this, this guy is the rock? He doesn't seem like a rock, does he? It's crazy. But did you see what Jesus said here? He didn't say, Peter, you're the man. He didn't say, Peter, you've got the skill sets that I need, right? The dude was a fisherman. He caught fish. He didn't say, I want you to build this thing, Peter. He said, you are Peter, which interestingly enough means rock. Jesus had changed Simon's name to Peter. If you want to nerd out, he really called him Kepha, which is Aramaic. And so the transliteration of Kepha is Cephas, which you see in Scripture. And then the translation is Petra. But they didn't want him to have a girl name, so he's Petros. So Peter means rock. Jesus could have given him a girl's name. So he says, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. I'm the builder. It's my church. It's my power. It's my glory. You will be my witnesses. That's awesome. And because I am the builder who sits at the right hand of God with all authority and all power, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's power. See, Jesus has chosen you. He has empowered you through the Holy Spirit and sent you out as witnesses. But Jesus is building his church. So if you think you're weak, you're probably weaker than you think. That's great. Just be honest. If you think you lack boldness, that's perfect. You are exactly who God has called. As God told Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Weakness. So as we enter into this book and see the amazing power of God at work among us, my prayer is that we would gladly proclaim with the Apostle Paul after God says this to him, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Let's pray together. Father God, we... Thank you that you have called us to yourself. God, that you have redeemed us, that you have pulled us out of darkness and into your glorious light by no merit of our own, but sheerly by your grace. And you have sent us out as heralds of your surpassing love. God, I pray this morning that we, as the church, would experience the joy of your nearness, that we would experience the power of your spirit, and that we would speak your word with boldness to whomever will listen. 
God, that we would pray with the church from Acts 4, that you would grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Amen. Praise God Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's Word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamlin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org.